Before the pastor preached a message one week, he stood before the congregation and he said, as we have some big decisions to be made here in the church, I'm calling a meeting of the church board immediately after today's service. At the close of service, the church board gathered at the back of the sanctuary for the announced meeting. But there was a stranger in their midst, a visitor who had never attended church before. The pastor walks up to the man and he says, my friend, don't you understand that this is a meeting for the board? Yes, said the visitor, and after today's sermon, I'm supposed I'm just about as bored as anybody sitting in here. <laughs> Amen. And that's why I don't call board meetings after service, because I'd have most of you show up. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Today we are in week five of our Closer series, and we are 30 days through the fast. Yay, only 10. Mike's really excited. Only 10 days, 10 small, measly little days left. You know, just to be transparent with you, I thought I would share this. This is my probably my 8th, ninth, maybe 10th, somewhere in their year doing this fast. And, um, you know, there's been some years that have been more of a challenge than others. But I, I got to say that this year has been by far the most challenging fast, 40-day fast, I have I've ever done in my, in my life. These past 30 days have been a, I've been on like a, a spiritual war that, <laughs> that I have not experienced in, in all of the other fasts. For whatever reason that is, I don't know, but I've had people that I'm close to get, uh, get injured, people that I'm close to uh, become sick and, and hospitalized, some of them for COVID, some of them, some of them not. I myself have been sick twice over the last 30 days, bedridden both times, uh, couldn't get out of bed. Um, I even missed a Sunday, if you remember that. I have not been sick in over two years, and over the last 30 days, I've been sick now <laughs> twice that put me, in, put me in bed. COVID tests are negative, so I'm not sure what, what's going on. My daughter was rear-ended, totaled her car out. I remember not even being through the first day, 10, 10 days of this fast, and I remember thinking, can I just get some good news? I just, I need a little good news here. But my friend, I tell you that to remind you that that's why they call it a battle, it's a battle, and it's important to remember that when you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, it's, in, it's important to remember who wins. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. We know who wins because God is faithful. God has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he says he will help us and he will strengthen us in the time of battle. But the key for us is not to quit in the middle of the battle. You know how many times I've wanted to break this fast so far <laughs> this year? The first year that I've just been like, you know what, maybe I just need to throw it in. But I've held on because I know that I'm in a battle. So if you're doing this fast and you're dealing with a battle similar to that, man, I just want to encourage you, just hold on. We got 10 days left. And what I have found in my life, um, speaking from experiences, is the, the tougher and the stronger the battle usually means the greater and bigger the victory if you just hold on. So just hold on and keep going strong. 
Well, today we're going to be talking about a great truth that I wanted to wait and share towards the end of this fast, and so here we are. If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. We're only going to read a few verses to start, but we're going to talk more about the context surrounding this as we go. So here we go, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 11. This is what it says. The Lord said, starting in verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain, and this is God speaking to the prophet Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, when he heard the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I'm calling this message this morning, State of Revival. Father, for the next few moments, I just ask that you would give me the mind of Christ, that you would give me the anointing that I need to present this message, God. Lord, if you don't anoint these words, then this message will fall flat and void. But God, if you anoint these words, these words will sink into our spirits and they will literally transform and change us because your words have the power to do that. And so God, we just want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you that it is living and active and it's still relevant to our lives today. And we give you praise for not only for what you've already done in this place, but for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. What sets a church apart is not the marketing of a church. It's not the interior design of a church. It's not the music. It's not even the pastor. Those things are not what sets a church apart. Those things can all be good and they can seem to set a church apart. But if those things are the foundation, that foundation will eventually crumble. It will not sustain over the long haul. You see, the world can copy all of that. The world can give you great marketing. The world can give you great interior design. The world can give you great music and it can give you rock star performers. But what it cannot give you, what the world cannot give you and I, is the presence of God. It is only the presence of God that will set a church apart. If a church does not have the presence of God, the church will be dead and lifeless. But with the presence of God, people will be set free and delivered from the bondages of sin. The preacher cannot set people free. The musicians cannot set people free. Ministry leaders cannot set people free. God can, and he, he does use those people to guide and direct, sure. But only the presence of God can set people free. And what is true of the church is also true of each of us. Do you know what will make you different and set you apart from those at work, at school, or wherever else you might be? It's the presence of God in your life. The presence of God is available to all of us as individuals. The presence of God is available to every church. The presence of God is available to every city. But how do we get it? How do we get it? The presence of God. 
Because I'm going to tell you that when we have the presence of God as individuals and we're walking in the presence of God, the presence of God will then begin to spill over into our churches. And then when the presence of God spills into our churches, it will then overflow and begin to spread over into our city. Do you believe that God can radically transform and change our city? Do you believe that God can send a revival that sweeps across our city and even our state? You see, I don't think some of us really believe that. Because we look at Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we realize that we are the drunkest city in America, or number two now, whatever it is. And I think some people have lost hope. We're too far gone. Just a few short weeks ago, it was just in last December... This news story broke that alcohol-related deaths rose 25% in the state of Wisconsin alone in the year 2020. Alcohol-related deaths were up in 2020 by 25%, and they said that number doesn't even include the drunk driving accidents. 25%. We live in the drunkest state in the nation. You see, on paper, it seems that there's no hope. But I want to tell you this morning, the presence of God can change a city. Read about the American Revival of 1858. Look it up. It's phenomenal. The presence of God was so strong here in our country. It's said that when the ships would draw near to the American ports, something supernatural would happen within those aboard those ships. Ship after ship would dock and they would all tell the same story. They said as they got closer to land, there was a certain spot they would hit. It was almost like a zone, they called it. And a strong conviction would come over them. And the whole ship would begin to throw their booze and other sinful paraphernalia overboard. They'd come into dock and the whole ship would be saved. There was no preacher on board. It was the presence of God. And it's said that the fear of God would fall upon the cities because they would see these sailors. And when they left, they were cursing, they were smoking, and they were drinking. But then they came back to dock and they were singing hymns. And praises to God. And people would ask, what in the world happened to these sailors? And they would say, well, they came into the zone. And it said that this zone was about a mile off land for whatever reason. Only God knows. But when these ships would hit that mile marker... The presence of God would hit them and they would fall, the whole crew would fall on their faces and they would uncontrollably weep as they repented and they begin to sing praises to God. The whole ship would come under the presence of God and it was such a profound event that it made our history books. Do you believe that the Spirit of God could do that in Green Bay? A zone around our city. People driving in, going to to watch a football game, and they get within a mile of the city, and the presence of God is so strong, they pull over their car to the side of the road, side of the interstate, and they're just weeping as they dump their booze in the ditch. That's my prayer 
And I will pray that prayer until number one, I see it. Or number two, God takes me home. God put a zone around our city. Let the people that come into this city feel the presence of God. Let them say, surely there is something going on in that city. The people are different. Surely the presence of God is in that place. God, let them feel your presence when they enter on the ships from the bay on the north. Let them feel your presence when they enter from the south, the east, and the west. Let them say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. In 1735, Jonathan Edwards said that during the Great Awakening, the whole town was filled with the presence of God. Every store, every house, every person felt the presence of God. The way they talked, the way they acted changed almost overnight. You notice something that when the presence of God hits, you don't just see a bunch of manifestations and weird stuff happening. You see people's lives changed. That's the true fruit of a move of God, of the presence of God. People get radically set free and they change and they're different. Because they've experienced the presence of God. When the Welsh revival broke out and revival hit that great land, it said that the whole area was filled with the presence of God. It said that little children could preach and give altar calls and people would get saved. It said that people would be woken up in the middle of the night because there was a group of people praying for the lost at midnight. And the people that were sleeping that were lost would be woken up. And for some odd reason, they would just find themselves down in the prayer meeting. It was the presence of God. Here in 1 Kings chapter 19, which we read just a moment ago, God tells the prophet Elijah to go out onto the mountain and to stand in his presence. Now to fully understand this moment and to fully understand what's happening here, you have to understand what has happened in the life of Elijah up to this point. The prophet Elijah was given an assignment by God, from God, to eliminate Baal worship from the nation of Israel. Baal was a false god. It was a cult. And the ringleaders of this cult were the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. So it's not going to be easy to remove this, this, this false worship. The king and queen are involved. Jezebel, the queen, hates the prophets of God. And she hates Elijah. She wants them all dead. Well, through a series of events, Elijah calls all the prophets of Baal to a showdown on the side of a mountain. It is during this time that God rains down fire from heaven... And all of the prophets of Baal are destroyed. And so, after all the prophets of Baal are dead, the king naturally flees. The king runs home. He tells his wife Jezebel what had happened. Once the queen finds out, she's furious. And she sends a message to Elijah that he's going to be dead within 24 hours. So, Elijah receives this message from the queen... And this strong man of God who just witnessed fire from heaven runs in fear. We read that he was afraid and that he ran for his life. Now, he didn't just go for a stroll over to the next city and hang out there. He runs all the way to Bathsheba. 
Check out this map to give you an idea. Bathsheba is a city roughly 113 miles south of where he was in Judah. He completely leaves the nation of Israel. Completely. Not only that, but when he gets there, he tells his servant to stay put, and he then continues another day's journey into the remote wilderness. He ends up in the middle of nowhere, scared to death. Great man of God, scared to death from the threat of the queen. He is hiding an entire day's journey from any civilization. He finds a tree, he sits down under the tree, and he prays that God would allow him to die. So here is this great man of God, this great man of faith, running for his life. He's scared, he's tired, he's utterly depressed, and he just wants to die. Let me ask, have you ever felt like that? You feel like you're doing everything right in life. God asks you to do something. Maybe it's very difficult and you obey. Your obedience costs you something. But then all of a sudden life steps in. Maybe you receive a negative report from the doctor. Maybe you have more bills at the end of the month uh, than, than you do money. Nothing seems to be working. And just like Elijah, you get to the point where you feel like giving up. Fear and anxiety consume you and you lay in bed at night and you feel like you're going to have a heart attack because your heart's beating so hard from the pressure that you feel like you're under. I mean, you just want to quit. You just want to run away from it all. Here's the truth and you need to understand this. Nobody's exempt from this. Nobody. Everybody goes through these seasons. Here's the problem. When we go through this season, we feel like we're all alone. And the enemy likes to come in and try to convince us that we are all alone and that nobody understands. God, nobody understands what I'm going through. Elijah did it. Same thing happened to Elijah. Elijah tells God, God, I'm the only one left. He tells God, I'm all alone. Nobody understands. And God comes back and says, no, Elijah, I have 7,000 that haven't bent the knee to Baal. I still have 7,000 that serve me. You see, we all have moments in life where we feel like we're at the end of our rope. We have moments in life where we feel like giving up. We feel like we want to quit, and it's exhausting. We just can't seem to find the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's where Elijah's at. So Elijah, out of pure exhaustion, he lays down under this tree wanting to die, and he falls asleep. Look at what happens, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 5. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Sometimes we're going to be on a journey in life that's going to be too great for you. 
And if you try to do it on your own, you'll never make it. Why? Because it's too great for you. But it's not too great for him. And so there's sometimes we just have to grab his hand and hold on and trust. I want you to know that when you're walking through a dark season of life, that God has promised you that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Look at Elijah. He's running from the call of God, but God did not abandon him. God does just the opposite. God pursues him. Some of you are in here this morning and you're running from God, but I want you to know that you can't outrun God. And I want you to know this morning, somebody needs to hear this, God is pursuing you. And he has been pursuing you and you have felt it. He loves you and he's created you for something special. He has created you to do something in this world that will greatly impact this world for his glory. So God sends this angel to encourage Elijah and to renew his strength. But watch this. Once he gets his strength back, rather than using the strength that God just gave him to return to the city of Jezreel and finish the job, he instead turns and continues to run away from God and heads south another 260 miles to Mount Horeb and he hides in a cave. He's now 400, nearly 400 miles from where he is supposed to be, running from God. But guess who's still pursuing him? God. God goes after Elijah. He pursues Elijah, and he meets him right in the cave. And look at what God says, verse 9. This is what we read earlier. Then he came to the cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Translation, Elijah wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was running from God. So Elijah plays the victim. He gives God his sob story. And here it is. Look again what God tells him. Here's the solution. 1 Kings 19.11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Basically, Elijah, you need my presence. Elijah, I need you to experience my presence because my presence will change you. Now get this, you, you ready for this? The word presence here is translated from the Hebrew word panim, and it simply means face. Face. God is telling him, look Elijah, I know you're tired. I know you're depressed. I know you're weary. So here's what I want you to do, Elijah. Now listen to me, because if you are tired, if you are depressed, if you are weary, this is what God is telling you to do as well. Here's what I need you to do, Elijah. I want you to get up, quit moping around, walk out of this cave, and seek my face. Don't seek my hand. Don't seek my blessing, in other words. Seek me, Elijah. Seek me. Just get into my presence. And Elijah steps out of the cave, and he steps, we, we see that he steps out into the noise of the world, the noise of the earthquake, 
Distractions that will try to keep you from the presence of God. The noise of the wind. The noise of the fire. But Elijah had to ignore the noise of the word because the voice of God cannot be found in the things of the world. The presence of God cannot be found in the things of the world. It could only be found in a whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah come down out of that cave. He walked down off of that mountain and he finished what God had told him to do. Notice something, when Elijah sat under the tree and he got the visit from the angel, that didn't change him. He continued to run, but once he experienced the presence of God, everything changed. I want you to know that the presence of God will change everything in your life. You see, when we get into those times of depression, those times where anxiety overtakes us, the times that we feel like we can't go on any further, those are the times more than ever that we need to block out the noise of life, block out the negativity of life, shut down the dumb social media, block out the noise of the situation, and get yourself into a place where you can hear the presence of God, you can hear the whisper of God because I guarantee you when you hear the whisper of God and you get into that place you're going to hear him say my child what are you doing here why are you consumed with worry why are you consumed with fear don't you know that when I speak the winds and the waves they obey what are you doing here My child, get up off of the floor. I want you to lift your hands into the air and I want you just to begin to worship me. Worship me despite what you feel. Worship me despite your feelings of hopelessness and and your feelings of worry. Don't seek my hand in this moment. Seek my face. Seek my presence. For it's only in my presence that that you're going to receive the strength you need to make it through the storm. You see, when I have these these moments, and I do, I love to get alone. I love to just raise my hands, and I just love to begin to thank God for what he's given me. It's a time where I don't ask for anything. Boy, I have an ask list of a mile long, but I don't ask him for anything. I just thank him for what he's given me. Thank him for his presence. Doing this allows me to focus on his face rather than his hand. God, I'm not asking you for anything right now, but rather I want to just take a moment and thank you for loving me. Thank you, God, for your presence. You see, what we usually do is we usually ignore God until disaster strikes, (laughs) and then we cry out for help. And then once we get what we want and life starts going well again, we begin to abandon God and we kind of push him to the back again and then the cycle repeats. We just want his hand. What can you do for me, God? But I'm going to tell you today that something happens when you push the hand of God aside and you say, God, I don't want your hand. I don't want anything from you. I just want you. I just want you, God, and nothing else. Now, if you're a parent, think about that for a moment. Your child comes up to you and says, 
I don't want your money, Dad. I don't want you to buy me anything. I just want you. I just want to spend time with you. Well, at that point, you're ready to give them the world because they just want you. This is so important. I've shared this truth, this, this, this part with you before, um, but it's, it's been a while, but it fits so perfect with what I'm talking about today. Exodus chapter 33. Some of you might remember this. The people of God are in the middle of the wilderness. They have escaped slavery in Egypt, and God, through a man named Moses, is leading the people to the promised land or the land of Canaan. Along this journey, this is known as the Exodus in the Old Testament, the people constantly complain, both against God and against Moses. They make a golden calf idol, and they begin to worship this idol. God has done nothing but bless them and bless them and rescue them, and all they do is bicker, fight, and complain, and finally God has had enough. This is enough. He has made them a promise that he was going to bless them and give them this beautiful land of Canaan, and God always keeps his word. So he is planning, even though they are in rebellion, to fulfill his promise. So he goes to Moses, and he has a conversation with Moses. Look at what he says, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. Notice God didn't take credit for bringing them up. He's putting it all on Moses right now. (laughs) He's clearly frustrated. And go up to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So basically he's saying, take the people, Moses, and go take the land. Verse 2, I'm going to send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, hit. I'm going to drive out all the people, last, last words of ites, I'm a, and I want you to go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now here we go. But I will not go with you. So I'm going I'm to I'm give you the promised land, Moses, but I need you to understand, I'm not going with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way. He says, okay, Moses, I've made a promise to bless you. I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to give you that land over there, that land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's got everything you'll ever want. You're going to live like kings. I'm going to give it all to you, but I'm going to want you to know something. As for me, I'm not going in there with you. You're going to go into the land of the blessing without my presence. Now look at how Moses responds. This this has always been amazing to me. We jump down to verse 15. This is how Moses responds. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Moses understood how important the presence of God was. Moses experienced the presence of God through the burning bush in the desert, and it changed his life. After being in the presence of God, he returned and finished the work that God had called him to do that he'd been running from. So Moses tells God, God, I am not willing to sacrifice your presence for your blessing. Did you hear me? I would rather have your presence, God, than your blessing. Basically, what he was saying is, I would rather suffer in the desert with nothing and have your presence than live in a land like a king 
without your presence. It's good God didn't it's a good thing God didn't make that offer to the people of Israel. They were wanting to go back to Egypt and lived in slavery without God's presence. If he would have offered that to the people of Israel, they'd have been, sounds great, God, where do we sign? Thanks for bringing us this far. We're out of here. And they wouldn't have realized what they were giving up until it was too late. Moses understood that there was no substitute for the presence of God. And it was the presence of God that was all, it's all he wanted even if it meant he lived in poverty the rest of his life. What if you had that choice? What, what could you just think about that for a moment? Live like a king the rest of your life and have everything you've ever wanted. Never have to struggle with money again. Live in a palace, but never experience the presence of God. Or not have any of that and be guaranteed the presence of God. Your answer to that question depends on if you've ever experienced the presence of God. Because if you've never experienced the presence of God, you're over here all the way. Sign me up. But for those of you in this room that you have experienced the presence of God, you know what I'm talking about. This stuff doesn't matter over here. Because without this, this this is all pointless anyway. I'm going to call the worship team to come back up at this time. What if we became a people that desired the presence of God over everything else. We need the presence of God. We need the presence of God in our church. We need the presence of God in our city. The presence of God will change you. After experiencing the presence of God, you will never be the same, I guarantee you. The presence of God will change our church. The presence of God will change our city. And so we're going to close service just a bit differently today. You see, I believe that we have some people in this room that you can relate a little bit to Elijah. You're tired. You're weak. You're ready to quit. You need the presence of God. Maybe you're not in here and tired and weak, but you've never experienced the presence of God and you need the presence of God. Here's the thing, I can't give it to you. I cannot give you the presence of God. God says that if we seek Him, we will find Him if we seek Him with all of our heart. The secret to the presence is seeking. It's seeking Him. It's something I cannot give you. If I could, believe me. (laughs) But it's up to each of us as individuals to go after the presence of God but some of you in here you've been running just like Elijah and today is the day you get your life back on track God has been pursuing you and he's pursued you right into this place for this moment can I have you stand to your feet please so we're going to close service a little bit differently than we typically do today we're going to close service with a time of worship And I want to give you an opportunity to get into the presence of God this morning. Now listen to me. As we get ready to sing this song, and as we do, I want to encourage you. Notice what Elijah had to do. Elijah had to come out from where he was. He had to come out of the cave to experience the presence of God. And some of you need to step out from wherever you are 
to experience the presence of God. So even those of you at home, if you're watching, if you're watching somewhere, maybe you need to go to someplace different. You need to relocate to another place just to seek after God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open this front altar here. And I just, I want to encourage you when you start singing this song, just to get out from where you are and just come down here to the front. You can kneel at the stairs. You can stand. Stand off the sides. It's just between you and God right now. This isn't between me and you or, or even the prayer team and you right now. This is just a moment between you and God. It's a chance for you to step out and just seek after the presence. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. So I want to encourage you to step out from wherever you are and just come to the front. We need His presence. And once you experience His presence, you will never be the same. So this team's going to play. And I want to encourage as they do just to come to the front. Some of you already are. And I want you just to worship Him. Ask Him for His presence. And then I'm going to come back up at the end here and I'm going to close us out. Let's worship God together. God, we need your presence. We need your presence, God.
We need your presence, God, in our schools. We need your presence in our workplaces. We need your presence in our church. We need your presence in our city. We need your presence in our state. God, and I just pray, Lord, that you would put that zone around this city. God, that you would put that zone around this city. I believe, God, in the drunkest city in America, you could spark something, Lord, that spreads across the world. And I believe, God, it starts with us as we humble ourselves, as we pray, as we seek your face, as we turn from our wicked ways. God, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence, God. God, I just pray for those right now that are in this place and they feel like maybe Elijah felt that day. God, I'm just believing that through your words that have been spoken today, God, that you have encouraged them. God, they're going to walk out of this place today, Father with some hope 
because God, not, of, not because of what I have said, but because of what you have done. So God, I just want to thank you for that today. God, those that are broken, those that are hurting, broken that are hurting, God, I just trusting right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God is just falling on each and every person. God, that you're setting people free from addiction right now. You're restoring marriages right now. You're reconciling friendships right now. You're healing illness right now in the name of Jesus. Because you are able. Because you are God Almighty. Because you sit on the throne of heaven. We thank you, Jesus, today for your grace and for your love. In Jesus' name. Before I pray a prayer blessing over on over us today and dismiss us, I just want you to know kind of some instruction after this. You don't have to be in a church service to experience the presence of God. Some of the greatest moments that I've experienced the presence of God have not been in a church service. When I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was at home on my sofa. It wasn't in a church service. Church service kind of adds to it. But there's something about, I want you to know, there's something about you going home and locking yourself away where no one knows where you're at and you get alone. And so it's just you and God. It's something about those moments that God has moved that has moved most mightily in my life. Nobody knows you're praying. Nobody knows you're seeking Him. It's just you and Him. Jesus talks about that. When you pray, go into your closet, shut the door. So don't, don't broadcast it. It's just between you and God. So don't just, don't leave this place today, please. You'll lose everything and just say, boy, it's just business as usual. I'm just going to go on. No, no, no. You can go home tonight and get alone with God. In the morning, get alone with God. Set times to get alone with God. Sometimes you're not going to feel like it. But if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. And there's going to come a time when you're weary and you just don't feel like it and you're tired and, and I've had enough. And then you get to the, you get down and you say, I'm going to do it anyway. And then all of a sudden God shows up. And you're never the same. So I would encourage you as you leave this place today, don't leave the same. I want you to, when you leave, you leave this place saying, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to start going after God. We've just been fasting for 30 days. Let's go harder after him. Harder than ever before. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you. May you know that if God is for you, then who can be against you? And if God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree, a strong tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf will not wither. And whatsoever you do, it shall prosper. God bless you, Green Bay First. We love you so much. If you're up here praying, you can continue to do that. Otherwise, we're going to kick some music on and, and we have our food pantry that's open, our clothing closet's open. We have hot meals that are ready to go.